0: You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan Abbers, and I am your humble and obedient host. So excited to join you for part two of our epic fantasy series. Clad in a gray cloak, riding upon a unicorn, out of the sky, it's Benjamin Seltzer.
1: I decided to stop by today, Nathan. <laughs> Usually I don't have time for this kind of thing, because I'm riding through the, the vasty lands of Bloomington the vasty vasty it sounds like it's kind of a fantasy like, word it's not like, just vast but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's like kind it's, of vasty it's like a vasty hall
0: well it has the quality of vastness wait what's this i just felt a cold chill as if a warrior was among us Ben, you better describe who just entered the podcasting space
1: ah clad in copper mail i don't know it, it looks like copper to me 10 maybe <laughs> No, I think it's copper. Yeah, probably copper. It's pretty cool. It's cooler than tin. Yeah. Clad yeah. in copper mail, wielding a golden sword, which wow, he... thats a really crappy soft sword. <laughs> I that know could be cut through very easily.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think he just holds that one for show. He's got like a really an awesome sword that will cut. So he's weighed down with an incredibly valuable show sword <laughs> that he can't use.
2: <laughs> maybe it's. I think it's, it's maybe a it's an enchanted power, sword. Man. There it's we go.
1: There we
0: go. He's so cool that he just needs a decorative sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't need a real weapon.
3: I'm gonna, that's, uh, that's right. <laughs> great statement I'm of power. I'm completely unintimidated by you. i awesome. intimidated by my wealth mm-hmm. and yeah. significance. Yep. Yep. Well, it's Sir Mensal, folks. Hey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is, of course, pastor. And today. I'm really excited to get back into this. If people will remember from our last episode, we talked about fantasy. We gave kind of a history of fantasy. We talked about fantasy as a genre of speculative fiction, fiction that speculates about what if every fantasy story begins by asking what if, what are some examples of some what ifs in fantasy fiction, fellas?
3: What if I could move rocks with my mind? Hmm. What if there were uh, a little race of people that like to live in holes in the ground and just live quiet lives? What if I had a laser sword and I could just jump anywhere in space I wanted to with a hyperdrive? What if the said little
1: people, what if a, they had really hairy toes?
3: What if I could change what you're thinking and control your mind simply by asserting it?
1: Huh? Uh, I would say you're a dangerous mutant, and the government needs to <laughs>
3: shut you down, like imprison you, and probably
1: oh,
0: wow.
3: experiment on you, guilty of an unforgivable curse.
0: <laughs> what if it was all a metaphor for social justice issues of today?
1: Oh,
3: oh brother! Yeah. What Ooh. if I had a little piece of wood that I could use, and if I waved it around and said the right words, I could, you know, Jake. make things happen.
0: Man, be pretty cool. What if I was a dragon rider in Pern? <laughs> That'd be cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's
3: great, Nathan. <laughs> That'd be what really if, cool. What if I was a billionaire who had access to all kinds of military proto technology, and I could dress as a bat? And <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what if you were um, also stalk the a, night street? If you were a master of every martial art, mm. oh yeah, pretty much the greatest fighter of all time,
0: and also the world's greatest detective. Yep. What if I came from a different planet and my body could soak in the sun's rays and it allowed me to have leap over train. tall buildings and stop moving trains? Mm. And
3: what if I again. got bit by a radioactive spider and developed only the spider traits that would be cool to have and none of the ones that would be bad
0: or gross? Yeah. You really, you should stop eating bugs. That's my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, especially ones that have been hanging out by our local nuclear power plant. It's such a bad idea. Man. (laughs) And I'm really not a fan of the egg sack that grows out of you. (laughs) I feel like that's one of the bad traits.
3: (laughs) I thought it was one of the cool ones, guys. I don't get it.
0: (laughs) That's what fantasy is. That's what it does. That's what speculative fiction does. We, we, we made the point that science fiction does the same thing. It asks what if, but it does it with science stuff. And horror fiction does the same thing, but it's scary. And there's a lot of overlap. I mean, I'm sure we've all, well, you know, you read or watch Lord of the Rings. It's got some pretty scary parts. Watch The Matrix or Star Wars. Are they fantasy or sci-fi? Is The Matrix sci-fi because they say the word computer a couple times? Are the Marvel movies
3: fantasy or sci-fi because they say it's all just science that you don't understand. Yeah. This looks like magic.
0: If Tony Stark says the word nanobots does that mean that his magic is now science yeah. instead of magic? Answer? Yes. Answer, yes. <laughs> 100% <laughs> baby. Well maybe. I mean some of this is actually just the trappings. I mean yeah. I would argue if they make it seem kind of sciencey, you can call that science fiction if you want. We're arguing about semantics as much as anything here. Yeah
3: well I mean a lot of sci-fi is just asking that what if if the what if were based in real well-defined science then it wouldn't be a what if Mm -hmm. it would just be a possibility Yeah, there has to be some real possibility so it has to to have some question marks some gray space where it's like what if somebody figured out a way to make this Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. yeah we have the idea that it's possible we just we don't know exactly how it maybe could what if somebody actually solved it or figured it out?
0: Yeah. I mean, some sci-fi, yeah. what the nerds like to call hard sci-fi, is the stuff that really tries to take those questions seriously and extrapolate based on what we know now exactly what this would is happen. exactly
3: how you would have to. Uh-huh. As Try opposed to, to
0: something like. What
1: would it, what, how would it change society? What would it reveal about human nature? If
0: we yeah. Well, in some sci- yeah. sci-fi is something like 1984, for example, people call it science fiction. He's just describing a totalitarian state. That's all. It's maybe 3% exaggerated, but basically he's just describing something that's happening. And he calls it sci-fi because that, that lets him get away with certain things. Is that book really science fiction? Is it hard science fiction? Is it just a book about a totalitarian state? Like a lot of totalitarian states that exist It's a
3: dystopian in... fantasy, Nathan.
0: Is it, Jake? Yeah.
3: Anyway, maybe, I guess- Maybe to you, it's a utopian fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I love Big Brother. The, the Iron Hand of Nathan. Yeah, The Iron Hand of Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> You guys know my dream of being a fascist dictator <laughs> <laughs> over a totalitarian dystopian state, right? All too well. <laughs> all too well. It's I've showed you far. the giant posters that I want of my face hanging from buildings and stuff like that.
3: Well, I mean, there was something about a blue laser.
0: There, yeah, there was something about a blue laser. That's I'm right. to remember
1: what the context of that was, yeah. But yeah. Uh, well, listeners will hear more. That they'll find out more in, in its time.
0: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they'll find out about the blue laser all right. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it was a blue fire laser. Okay, so <laughs> we've talked about what speculative fiction is. We're, we're kind of focusing on fantasy today and, and in these last two episodes, but we've also been kind of focusing about all of it. I think the reason we're zeroing in on fantasy is because, A, it's fun and interesting to talk about fantasy, and B, we've already done some stuff on horror fiction before. You can listen to our Dracula episode <laughs> where we went to the haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. I, I like that one. We're going to do some sci-fi stuff later this year, Lord willing, uh, when the Dune movie hopefully doesn't get bumped but comes out in December. We are going to, on the bookening, read Dune, and we are going to, on Sound of Sanity, talk more specifically about sci-fi and stuff. And Dune's actually a great example of something that kind of tries to extrapolate from what's going on today but also takes a lot of weird fantastical leaps. But also, it's all based in the ecology and his understanding of politics and, you know, is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? I don't know.
1: Yeah, just goes to show you that these things could be used to kind of investigate whatever you want to investigate. Like, yeah. what what are men really like? What are men and women really like? Dune is, has a lot of stuff like that. Yes, it. it
0: certainly does. So it's a rich...
1: Rich mine of uh, what's that stuff? Crap. (laughs) (laughs) I like doing. I like doing too. Uh,
0: It's a lot of fun. Spice, spice. Yes, rich mine of spice. There you go. Very spicy. (laughs) All right. So, having said all that, now we come to the question—the question that Christians have to ask, and that I think I feel some angst about. I'm sure our listeners, if they enjoy this kind of stuff, have felt some angst about, which is: Should a Christian read fantasy? And my answer to that is, yeah. I mean, right, Ben? Fantasy's <laughs> awesome. Hey, man, <laughs> I rocks. live in fantasy
1: world every day. Yeah. It's I, great.
0: I mean, you literally got a horn, glued it to a horse, and you call it your unicorn.
1: Yeah, and then I use I use nanotechnology to make it fly. Mm-hmm. People think it's an actual flying unicorn. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You had nanotechnology,
0: and yet you glued the horn to the horse. <laughs> it's <like laughs> really a combination of high-tech, low-tech. Nan-
1: nanotech doesn't can't do horns on horses jettinies. There's just limitations you don't understand. You're not a science geek like me.
0: I know you guys are working around the clock. And Oh, my stars! (laughs) Well, I'm sorry that that conversation was interrupted, but there's the devil's advocacy alarm. Now, the devil's advocacy alarm, it's been a little while. The devil doesn't always show up. The devil's advocate, I should say, these days on the show. But when the alarm goes off, it means one of us has to play the devil's advocate and argue for the opposite of what we've been saying.
1: Well, should probably be me, right? Because you know, fantasy fantasy heroes, I don't know, fantasy <laughs> villains are, are Have ready. Have you seen my golden, golden sword? <laughs> <laughs> oh Oh, I should have known. The
3: golden sword should have been a tell. It's like, a big, shiny, fake threat. Yeah. It represents <laughs> the, big, shiny, <laughs> the devil's threat. advocate. <laughs> Why did I not see this coming this year?
0: If Jake actually liked fantasy, <laughs> he wouldn't uh, be wearing copper armor and he wouldn't have a big golden sword. <laughs> that copper armor does not do well in the sun, let me tell you. <laughs> no, it really <laughs>
3: doesn't. out here, man. <laughs> All
0: right, Jake, you're going to play the devil's advocate and you are going to make an argument that Christians should not read or watch or engage with fantasy or speculative fiction, right?
3: Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All of these what if questions really come down to uh, one thing. Ultimately, they're asking, what if God were not God? What if God were not God? Let me just explain how I get there. Okay. God created an order to the world, a natural order and a moral order. And all of these what if questions basically amount to what if God didn't create the moral order the way that he did? Or what if God didn't create the natural order the way that he did? What if the natural or moral order, which are intricately connected, were in some way, somehow, a violation of God's character? What if that were the case? That's the fundamental question that speculative fiction is actually asking. Therefore, it's intrinsically, it is one genre that we can look at and say it is intrinsically immoral. And wrong, wrong headed, and something Christians ought to stay away from.
0: Let me pile on because we've actually had an uneasy relationship with this as we've reviewed lots of speculative fiction movies. Because inevitably, what you'll have is someone like our gal Ahsoka in right. Clone Wars who's powered up and is subverting the moral order, in that she is a female warrior. warrior. And subverting the natural order and that she has strength and powers that are not not what God has assigned to her sex. Yep. We try to make some space for that or or say eh, it's bad, but, you know, like we still like Clone Wars because whatever.
3: And, and within the context, you know, there's still, she's still feminine, mm-hmm. a feminine, relatively feminine counterpart to, yeah, we try to make that space, but we feel that tension. Let me, since we're just piling on, yeah. let me go even farther and say... Historically, from Augustine and the early Christians rejecting the theater to, I mean, really, you basically have just the last, what, hundred years, couple hundred years, maybe you can make the case of Christians embracing fiction, much less fantasy and speculative fiction.
0: So even speculating about what ifs that didn't exactly violate the natural or moral order was... Something on t- that shaky ground for a lot of Christians. Our for fathers a in the long faith, long time, better men and bigger men than us. Anybody else want to pile on here?
1: No, going to go burn some Jane Austen though. I tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Jane Austen is actually a great example of 300 years ago, whatever it was, in a very conservative Christian community of people who. Have their love hate relationship with fiction, you know. She, she wrote Northanger Abbey to make fun of everything that was stupid about the gothic fiction of the time. But they liked novels, so the devil might be painting with a a pretty broad brush. Yes, Augustine didn't like the theater. Yes, you can find examples of Christians being uncomfortable. I think the devil has a good point, but also it would be painting with too broad a brush to say that Christians have never liked fiction until. Now,
3: I'm not going to deny that, since I'm still playing that role, mm-hmm. that Christians, there have always been Christians that have indulged in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What I want to say, though, is that it's more or less true that the tide hasn't turned to the broad acceptance of it until the last couple hundred years. Yeah. In the last hundred years, especially, with just the full-on embracing of all things, fictional and fantastical without questions or discernment Mm -hmm. we just embrace it as a not not even as a uh something more that's morally acceptable but as a unquestionable good well if if tolkien did it and lewis did it thumbs up if it was good enough for tolkien it must have been good enough for jesus and therefore good enough for me yeah
0: (laughs) that is the syllogism isn't it (laughs) if i if i was going to make a little space again i would say we didn't really have the printing press until the 1500s Christians actually haven't had to deal with the ubiquity and ascendancy of art until now because society hasn't had to deal with the ubiquity and ascendancy of art. So, Or the written word. Or the written word, exactly. Like, we didn't have popularly printed novels yeah. until uh, okay. relatively recently, historically speaking.
3: The, the The real answer, let's just go ahead and deal with that historical thing right now. The objection to the plays had much less to do with the idea of fiction and much more to do with actors, actresses. It was actually the degeneracy of
0: what was happening in that world right now.
3: That's right. So that was the principal objection Mm -hmm. for one. For two, there's never been a time where the world has been without fairy tales and stories and stories for children. And we can go back and we can establish fiction even from parables of scripture in some sense you can say that the parables that we have are what ifs we've made these cases in other places sure i don't know i I want to get rid of that argument i brought i introduced it but i want to get rid of it really quickly so that we can actually focus on
1: yeah i mean even in the book of judges you have gideon's son telling this parable of talking trees who want a king over them Mm -hmm. so that's like i mean
0: it's a little inaccurate of
3: streets it's of fantasy fiction corn
0: like, e- eating corn and cows eating cows, cow, eating cows. Like, yeah all kinds yeah.
3: of wild crazy stuff
1: that subvert the natural order
0: yeah i think you have to be forgive me but a little bit of a thudding literalist to want to banish all of it because at the end of the day when you start just eradicating our ability to use story and use metaphor what are you going to do with the psalms what are you going to do with the parables what are you going to do with
3: you basically lose metaphor and symbolism right
0: Right. and the bible i mean what's the percentage of it that's written in metaphor and symbolism it must be
3: it's insane
0: yeah who knows i mean i haven't done the math but maybe it's over 50 i don't know it's It's a a lot lot. why didn't the prophets just say this is going to happen instead of saying locusts will blah 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 well because that's how God works. He uses symbolism. He uses metaphor. (laughs) Now that being said, we've talked about that in other places. We come to the argument specifically about speculative fiction. And the devil has established that the problem with speculative fiction is that it breaks. He said both breaks the natural
3: order and it breaks the moral order. Because they're intrinsically connected and you can't break one without breaking the other. And both are reflections of God's character. Okay, so I I wanna- And so it's an attack on God.
1: I just want to, just for a second, pop back to that parable of the trees and judges and say, what about the natural order there, Mr. Devil? Because you have talking trees, you have the, you know, they go to the olive tree, they go to the, the bramble, finally. and the... Anyway, you, have, you just have all this bizarre stuff that the natural order doesn't do because trees don't talk and they don't have a king and they don't, they don't devour each other with fire and stuff like that.
0: But that all happens in the parable of the trees. There's a lot of metaphors in the Bible that we could go to that aren't literal, So that's a great point. I also want to just take a step back, though, and say you have started with a premise that I don't think I agree with. You have said that the natural order and the moral order are so inextricably linked that we can't imagine violating one without violating the other, and that it is giving a middle finger to God intrinsically to imagine violating the natural order. And I suppose there's some definition of the natural order that I might agree with that on. But any definition of the mat- natural order that I agreed with that on would always come back to including the moral order. For example, men transitioning in women, into women. That's breaking the natural order. But it's also breaking the, the moral, moral order. order. Yeah. Orville and Wilbur Wright creating an airplane that breaks the natural pull of gravity over men. Nobody has a problem with that. That's not, it's
1: not actually breaking the natural order.
0: No, but it is. Yeah, that would
3: be my, you know, that would be my response is it's actually simply using the natural order in a...
1: In ways we hadn't thought of yet.
3: Yeah, although, uh, but no, you, I, I wouldn't give up that point though. Because, well, because the point is still God made man to be earthbound. Mm-hmm. If God had wanted man to fly, God would have given man wings. Well, and you can
0: go through history. Atheist, liberal people like to find the places where the church said, "Eh, if you try and do this scientific thing, then you're breaking the natural order and we're going to stand in the way of... Things that are obviously progress looking back hundreds of years. You know, these are actually real fights that people have had about things like yeah. medical progress. I mean, there are Christians that won't take penicillin because God made disease. This, this is a real thing that has real consequences in real people's lives. Yep. But I do take penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. I've been on airplanes. Yep. And I don't think that I am in violation of God's natural order when I do that. What I think I'm doing is enjoying the fact that God gave us a mandate to fill the earth and subdue it.
3: Well, yeah, exactly. The the direction you're headed is I, I think it is the answer. To To ask what if is simply intrinsic to what it means to be human, to be man, to be made mm-hmm. in the image of God. It There is no way to exercise dominion over the earth without asking what if. And you can go back to the simplest things of what if, instead of wandering and picking fruit and grain, I planted fruit and grain in order? Mm-hmm. What if, instead of hunting animals, I captured them and bred them and raised them? What if, It's the excitement instead of, of, the of sleeping first few- out in the rain or in a cave, I cut down some
0: trees, and I... Mm-hmm. Fix,
3: yeah, Orville, and, or, Orville and
0: Wilbur Wright didn't start by saying, we're going to do a bunch of science stuff, and, oh, hey, look, the natural order allows us to fly. They right. started by saying, boy, it would be cool to get around that way. Wouldn't it be cool if we could fly?
3: I wonder if there's a way to do that. Yep. And so it all starts with all creativity, all culture, all cultural development is a function of somebody somewhere asking the question, what if? Mm -hmm. And some of those what ifs were outlandish and bizarre and crazy just a hundred years ago. Think a hundred years ago, we're talking not just what if I could fly, not just what if I could travel around, what if I had a carriage that didn't have a horse. Mm -hmm. We're talking everything from what if I could blow up an entire city What if I could walk on the moon? What if I could have all the world's information in my pocket? What if I could, you know, just like the what ifs?
0: Yeah, we are living in a sci-fi wonderland. I mean,
3: yeah. Anybody a hundred years ago would look at the world that what if we lived in a, what if we could walk into a room that was climate controlled on the inside? We're not even
0: talking about what if the telephone, what if the, like the most basic Okay, well, now let me make a little bit more space for the devil, though, because what you have to admit, as you say that, is that the relationship between the natural law and the moral law is really complicated. One thing that Mm -hmm. I said just—I just threw this off when we were breaking this episode a a week or two ago—is, and I'm sorry, ladies, but would there be feminism if somebody hadn't created washing machines? Would there be feminism if there wasn't an industrial revolution? In other words, we have all this technology that. Let's women have a whole lot more time. (laughs) There are moral ramifications to that. You can argue that they're good moral ramifications. You can argue that they're bad. You can argue that they're somewhere in between. What you you can't
3: argue is that there aren't ramifications. Mm -hmm. What the Industrial Revolution does is it creates a possibility for the breakdown of the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, husbands and wives in the family farm aren't the most essential way that we can provide for ourselves or for each other and we're not a family unit that has to work together in order to make ends meet our wife can go and work in the factory and make just as much money as we do
0: Mm -hmm. we can go get drunk actually we can go to the pub and get drunk all
3: this stuff every little advancement let me just want to even call it that
0: let me give another random example automobiles okay great everybody can get around really fast we are also accepting the cheapening of human life like thousands of people are going to die because we have these giant, movable rockets powered by a flammable substance.
1: Right, right, right. But before that, of course, you're accepting that thousands of people are gonna die because there's no way to transport things as quickly as a car or a truck can transport them.
0: But you, you aren't can't making them get food, them to supplies, medical. You, you are making moral trade-offs though, Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I mean, making moral decisions. You can't help it, but it's
1: also in the way that you use it and you have to recognize that given the freedom to misuse something we'll misuse it and god has always given men that freedom you know the human race the race of man we've always had the freedom to misuse everything oh cool we can build chariots of iron good let's enslave our neighbors well so chariots of iron aren't bad but you're going to use them in a way that's good or evil and then there's some technology
0: that is just evil that's what i wanted to say next i would argue there are certain things, I mean, we don't have to make this the case on this podcast, but I really wonder the the power to destroy an entire city with an atomic bomb, you know, I've often thought about, is that like a the kind of power that it's just in how you use it? Or is there just something intrinsically mm-hmm. so, it is in fact such a violation of the moral and the natural order to have the power to do that, that we just shouldn't go there. I mean, it's a little bit like the Jurassic Park Conundrum, right? Like, yeah, it's cloning. If it's you could bring dinosaurs back, just because you can, yeah, doesn't mean you should.
3: I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should.
0: And so, where I want to make space for the devil is, yeah, maybe there are some things that we just shouldn't do. Maybe there are things that we just shouldn't imagine. Maybe there are things that do violate the natural order in, in ways that are intrinsically connected to how God made men and what he asks of men, therefore violate the, the moral order. Where does that get us with fantasy literature? What I want to say is it's hard to make blanket statements. I think the devil made a noble effort. At the end of this podcast, I will be willing to admit that there are some what-ifs that are intrinsically self-defeating, that are intrinsically immoral.
3: Well, but, in some what-ifs, it's helpful to ask them so that you can expose them right right that's why i mean you came up with jurassic park as an example of because that's the function of jurassic park right jurassic park exists to ask the question
0: and to say no michael Crichton wanted to say we have to be really careful with this technology he didn't care about dinosaurs he cared about embryonic research and clone research and stuff like this and What he wants to say is, just because you can do it,
3: doesn't mean you should. And in
0: fact, it means you shouldn't. There are things that you should not do. That's what every great sci-fi cautionary tale is about. about.
3: You don't open Pandora's box. It's not even necessarily wrong to ask a what if that does violate the natural order in a way that is evil. The question is, what is the author trying to accomplish? And what does he think is true about the moral order Mm -hmm. when he asks that question? To ask a question, what if we could make chimeras? Mm -hmm. What if we could convert the human race into some weird human-animal hybrid? Well, that may be a bad what if, if you think, wouldn't that be cool? Mm -hmm. But if you think this is actually something that people have been trying to do and have been working toward and actually it's horrific, and we ask this what if in a way to demonstrate and show how horrific awful this would be that's not a bad what if Mm -hmm. that's not a bad premise yeah you have to book
0: in order to evaluate a work of speculative fiction first you establish what the what if is and then you ask how the what if interacts with god's moral law what is what is yeah so it's what if and what is and how do the two go together i'll give you an example there was a really popular novel that came out a few years ago called the power and it was about teenage girls suddenly getting the power to shoot (laughs) shoot lightning out of their fingertips the novel is written as if it's written by a man who's telling the story hundreds of years down the line. And so he's collecting all these historical sources and he's trying to figure it out and he's doing interviews. And then he sends it to his publisher and she writes back to him and says, we really like your book, but we think we should probably publish it under a woman's name. So people take it seriously. That's the punchline of the novel. And the idea is that gender roles as they would call them have flipped right women suddenly have physical power over men and so women are
3: everything's changed the
0: the quote-unquote dominant sex and the hierarchy of how things work changed
1: so sex is just a function of power really sex
0: sex is a function of power power flipped i should mention i forget what the author's name is but she actually worked for a year under margaret atwood our old friend from the handmaid's tale Uh and all that stuff so margaret atwood helped to develop this novel And it was a huge sensation, and people loved it, and they thought it was so provocative and interesting. I'm not going to say that you couldn't write a novel with the what if of what if girls, when they hit puberty, were able to shoot lightning out of their fingers. I'm going to say your what if must be subservient to what is, and what is is a natural sexual hierarchy that God has created that, in fact, would not change if women could shoot lightning out of their fingers. Because there's
3: more to sexuality and there's more to the economy of how the world works than power
1: right well and actually i mean power is an ambiguous word right i mean think of how much when women hit puberty their power over men actually is pretty great yeah that's right i mean kidding it's it's a cosmic power that shapes the world every day and any boy can tell you that yes like duh (laughs) it's just not (laughs) masculine power exactly and the pagan world hates that. Like, they hate that there is such a thing as masculine power. They hate that there's hierarchy. But the power that women do have is pretty intense, actually.
3: And it is born out in every day to day interaction and is born out in human, you know, on, on the micro level and on the cosmic, you know, human history level. The fact is, and I think we've said this here before, I'll say it again the idea that men have power because they have broad shoulders strong chess mm-hmm. is completely backwards. Right. God designed men to have authority and responsibility and therefore he gave them broad shoulders and That's strong right. arms and strong <laughs> chests. God designed women to bear life and to be s- Adam's helper mm-hmm. and to be in that position of submission and dependence. And he made them that way. So at the end of the day, the real question isn't, can we ask what ifs that in some way violate either the natural order or our perception of the natural order? Question is, what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. What's the point of asking the question? What does that tell us about the moral order or the moral law?
0: Right. In the power, the purpose is to prove a premise that is wicked, which is that sex relationships are based on a hierarchy of brute strength and that if you reversed that, it would reverse everything. That's just not true.
3: And we can talk about all the ways that it's not true. The world's full of equalizers already, right? First of all, Ben made a good point in saying...
0: Women have all kinds of power. Women have
3: all kinds of intrinsic power already, Mm -hmm. for one. For two, the world is full of all kinds of equalizers for
0: brute strength. We call them guns Mm -hmm. and knives and... (laughs) Drones and... There's no woman right now in an abusive relationship who couldn't end that relationship as soon as her husband falls asleep. In a show of
3: power and strength.
0: In a a show of physical power. Everybody can shoot lightning out of their hands, metaphorically speaking, because they can shoot bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Literally speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Literally speaking. (laughs) We already live in a world with all those equalizers, and it actually hasn't changed the hierarchy. Now, okay, where does that get us with the devil's argument? The devil has said... Well, I mean, is
1: the is the devil going to ask if I'm a devil am I going to ask about, hey, what about the occult? What about that stuff? You can't give people occult powers and tell me you're not messing with the moral law.
0: We are going to talk about that and get into that. But first, a little break. We'll be right back.
2: Thanks for loaning me that Harry Potter book, Radiohead, but y- you know what I realize? I-, I don't think fantasy is really for me. I understand completely, Ollie. Bleep bloop. Fantasy sci-fi, it's also far-fetched, you know? Indeed it is, Ollie. Watch out for the Zorpadorpion on your left. Eat laser, Bughead! Great shot, Ollie. Well, the gravity of Zorpador has taken some getting used to, but, you know, I think I'm improving. We will have the Zorp crystal in no time. But what were you saying? I was saying fantasy and sci-fi. I just don't get the appeal. A bunch of made-up peoples and places and, and nonsense words. More Zorpadorians incoming. Kill, kill, kill. You know, I guess on the other hand, I, I do like it when a writer who knows something about science takes a real technology and pushes it to its limits in a fictional form. Mike Arthur C. Clarke, Alistair Reynolds, Charles Strauss. Well, yeah, Strauss does stray into space opera a little bit much for my taste. Space opera is often insipid at best, bleep bloop. You said it, Radiohead. Just the same old mono monomyth repackaged again and again. By the way, Ollie, I have confirmed that the powers in the Zorp crystal will allow us to bring the beautiful princess back from the Doom region, thereby fulfilling your destiny as the Chosen One. You're a real pal, Radiohead. Yeah, the other thing I feel like a lot of space opera does is it takes the same old cultural stereotypes it barely even bothers to recontextualize them. Ollie, look, coming out of the Zorpadorian forests. Oh no, it's, it's a red-skinned savage alien race. They'll kill us both. Now, Ollie, the native peoples of Zorpidorp are noble and in touch with the nature that is all around them. Oh, oh, well, that's that's good then. Uh, hey, is that the death ship of Zelaxor the evil? He has oppressed the natives for far too long. Let's get him. Activate your anti gravity boots, Ollie. Done and done, Radiohead. Ah, uh, for a true literary experience though, give me Proust any day of the week. There is a saturation in his imagery that I can only describe as symphonic. I have you in my tractor beam now. Zelaxor, the evil.
4: I see you fought off my Zorbidorian mercenaries, but they were only the bait. The Zorb crystal will never be yours. The only thing you can look forward to is a painful death.
2: Radiohead, I thought the bad guys didn't know we were coming. Bleep bloop. Apparently, we were betrayed. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, we're back. During the break, true story, we were talking, we were saying, man, that first half of the podcast felt like all the bricks fell into place pretty neatly, but anytime you try and have this conversation about anything specific, like, should should I actually read Harry Potter? Things get really complicated really quick. Things get complicated really quickly, and you lose your way, and you start to feel some real tension about should a christian read this work of fantasy or that so you take any specific real w- world example and you try and think about it and it gets really complicated harry potter is a great example of that and it's I th- one of the best it's examples. one of the best if you want to make space for harry potter let me let me start this way so the argument against harry potter is what
3: because the what if is actually what if witchcraft something expressly explicitly forbidden in multiple places in scripture what if that were cool mm-hmm. and normal and a part of this universe in a way that,
0: right? So, yeah, yeah. And then and then Rowling what goes. It,
3: what if it were good, or what if it were a a moral neutral that mm-hmm. could be used for good or evil?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and Rowling goes out of her way to research actual practicing Wiccans and you know use their terminology and their the way that they do things. And just
0: weave that through the book, and, and so the first way that you might come back is say, "Well, we've 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 made some space now for violating what we've called the natural law, while keeping the moral law." Basically, Harry Potter exists in a traditional moral universe. There's good. There's evil. Da, 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 da. Sure, it uses some of the language of the occult, but really, he's just violating the natural order because he can fly, because he can pick things up, because he can generate unicorn.
3: It's not the same, even though it uses the language of witchcraft and the occult, it's actually not based in any kind of real occult. They're not summoning demons. There's no actual demonic power behind anything in this Mm. universe. This is actually fundamentally not different than the force in Star Wars. It's just we use wands instead of tapping into some primeval force of nature. And some people are born with it and some people
0: aren't. To which the person uncomfortable with Harry Potter comes back rightly and says, yeah, that sounds good, but come on, she actually did research the occult, and she's using all this terminology, and you're going to try and make space with your dumb natural order, moral order argument for my kids to learn real occult technology, or technology, technology, (laughs) 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 Uh a real occult terminology and words and ideas and it's going to
3: teach my kids to think that these occult things are good and fun and cool well, when
0: how how many kids well. have started to have become how how many people become which which you know actually get into real occultism because they just love the idea of Summoning demons Well, Nobody They like the idea of Flying Or falling in love
3: Or achieving
0: things Well but come on It does also
1: Okay I want to jump on board The devil's advocacy train For a second And just say What How far How far do we How far do we let this stuff go Like so I'm going to write There are young adult fantasy novels Based around the magic Of summoning actual demons Right And the demon might be like A good character That you love And you know That you're very fond of And you summon the demons And the demons like Do stuff for you Okay, and then there's other like, it's a common trope. I just watched
3: a Pixar movie. Well, the genie mm. is the, just, the genie uh, is gen. Onward. He's a he's a, yeah. he's a demon.
1: He's a demon. Right, so, right, that's right. But
3: we can't. There's Aladdin.
1: No right? Aladdin. There goes Aladdin. I just watched Onward from Pixar, which is about, I mean, the main plot point is necromancy, right? Mm-hmm. Bring yep. back your father from the dead for a day. That's the whole plot of the movie. That's the whole point of the movie is, yeah, let's use an occult spell to bring our dad back from the dead. Now, necromancy is one of the grossest things that exists. It's, it's one of the most strongly condemned witchcraft sins mm-hmm. in the Bible. Okay, but it's fine in my kid's movie. Or, I mean, at what point do you draw a line? Because if every bit of magic or even stuff that, that is completely contrary to God's moral and natural order can be a beautiful
0: metaphor of relationships in a Pixar movie... Then there is no line right. anymore. The demons in this thing, we could, they're they're named demons, but actually they're just friendly, they're lovable, spirits that yeah. Help out, right? And give you cool powers and yeah. whatever it is, yeah. And so that brings us to the idea of moral grammar, something that we've decided to collectively as a Warhorn gang over the years to call moral grammar. When we say grammar, we don't just mean terminology. What we mean is imagery, terminology. The way that we feel about things, we should have a feeling of which is bad. I don't like witches. Right. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter makes you not feel that way. Yeah, it makes you feel like witches are cool. Hermione Granger is just a cool chick, and she's a witch, and that's great. And that's not a feeling that you ultimately want to be mm-hmm. inculcated in yourself. There are some things that just simply violate the moral order. Then there are things that. Do violate the natural order in a way that we've established as acceptable. Don't violate the moral order in a way that makes me all that squeamish. Do violate moral grammar. Harry Potter is using occultic terminology to talk about stuff that doesn't actually feel that immoral within the confines of the universe that she's created. It's using occultic terminology to talk about flying and doing all the same stuff that a Jedi can do. Now, is there a good reason to be uncomfortable with that? Yes. Is there a good reason to not read Harry Potter for that reason? Yes. Is there a way that you can make some space and say it's not quite the same thing as actually writing a novel that says the occult is is good? good? I think so. And that's where I would personally land. I enjoy the Harry Potter books. I think you have to be very careful, especially with young children. One of the things that bothered Jake that I thought was really interesting was the owls. Yeah, well, it's just
3: as as simple as... You actually see in scripture, owls used symbolically as in evil terms, Mm -hmm. Hmm. in evil ways. Owls are bad news when they show up in scripture. And so there's this whole biblical grammar way of thinking symbolically about the world that is undermined by Harry Potter, making owls cool. Owls are actually cool. In real life. But they're also something that have this element of...
0: Associations with the demonic.
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: in that sense, anything that we enjoy, we have to, I don't know, I don't want to say carry a suspicion around, but we have to carry a suspicion around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like Marvel movies, but there's a grammar to them. There's like a way that they use stuff that should
0: make me uncomfortable too. Mm -hmm. If
1: I had kids, I would tell them, I don't know, we'd talk about it. Talk about Black Widow.
0: Well, you take the example of Black Widow, where she falls on the spectrum. She actually plays a very womanly, subservient Mm
3: -hmm. kind
0: of a role in the Avengers. Yep. Yep. She is kind of a His Girl Friday kind of a role. It's, you know, she's just like there to be the buddy helper of whoever the Avenger of the week is. Usually Captain America. And something
3: nice to look at in the process. And
0: something nice to look at in the process. So not the most elevated womanly role, but it's a one that has been working pretty well for the movies now for about 100 years. She also does kung fu. Her body does things that it normally wouldn't. She doesn't ultimately violate the moral order in the sense that she is basically in the right, the place that she should be as a woman in the hierarchy of the way that those movies are written as stories. She does violate the natural order in that she can do things that women can't do. That violation becomes a violation of the moral order and she
3: then does things because that she, she then does a things woman should not should do, not do, regardless of whether or not they can.
0: She also violates mm-hmm. the this idea of moral grammar in that she changes the way that you think about what a woman should do and what a woman can, can do. do. So there's a generation of little girls that really do think they can just kickbox Well, and there's
1: a generation of little boys that have their maybe this is as far as we'll go into this, but have their sexual, their erotic desires changed by watching a woman do what she does. And if that's true, much more true for Wonder Woman, let's say.
3: Right. And so there's a deep perversity to it. The more you blur the lines, the more you, and it doesn't even really matter where you blur them. Mm -hmm. The more you blur the lines, the more you take what you like about women and also take away some of what's scary about them. The more androgynous you push things, that's a real shaping influence. If Scarjo is, if Black Widow is one of the boys, except hot and ready to follow your lead, well, that's, man, that's twisting things inside of you. Mm -hmm. If you're ready to swallow that
0: hole. Well, the irony um, is Ben talked about the power that real young ladies do have you're actually taking away some of that power well yeah because what you're then
3: requiring women to do is become more like men in some ways not in others right
0: which loses them the ability to wield effectively
1: the actual power or they're or they're meshing the wielding of that actual power with the power of domination by force Mm. which is its own realm of perversity and that's that's closer to wonder woman than black widow if we're talking in these terms
0: but yeah so so you have three things to think about there. You have natural order, you have moral order, and you have moral grammar. Maybe another way of saying that is just how it feel it makes you feel, how what it kind of inculcates inside you, what it mm-hmm. does to you while you're not thinking. Yeah. And you have to think about all three. And people are very binary and they don't often think about all three. You know, you'll see some dumb article about Wonder Woman where they don't think about the subversion of the natural order. They don't think about the subversion of moral grammar, the way it makes you feel, the way it changes, the way you think about women. All they think about is on some level she's still obeying some idea of the moral hierarchy. Like, there are a lot of things pieces. She has great
3: power and she's using it to defeat bad guys. Yeah, which
0: is something that women should do. She's using it to serve. You she's know? using her power for good.
1: Now shut up and let me
0: eat my popcorn. Right. Yep. The, the flip side of that is people who and I don't, I don't want to say that you can't do this. I have, I have sympathy. I have a lot of sympathy for this flip side. But an example of the flip side might be I will never watch Star Wars at all because Princess Leia simply gra- gab- grabbing a gun, whatever else her function is. I'm so offended by the violation of the natural order there and, well, by all three of them that I just don't even want to think about it in any more complex terms <laughs> than that. Yeah, don't read about JL then, for sure. Yeah, no yeah. You're kidding,
3: exactly. It's just like, well... If <laughs> Those I was, are the
0: people that are bothered by Deborah or JL or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs>
3: it's like, it, if I were busting my wife or my sister out of, you know, some horrific prison... hmm in a fascist I, space station. In a fascist space station, mm-hmm. and I had an extra gun, I would give it to her. Right. And I would expect <laughs> her to use it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We gotta get out of here. <laughs> well, and there, the there, preservation of our lives and, the, and your safety depend on us both wielding our blasters.
0: Into the garbage, fly boy.
3: And you'd be happy
1: if
0: she was a better shot than you.
3: That's heck yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and there, there are people who are so so bound up about all of this that they'd just be like, "What? Why would you subvert order that way?" Ah! It's like I'm not. Right now, the moral order of our survival is, is yeah. taking precedence over.
1: Well, I mean, I don't, this is somewhat related, but it's like, it's like our pastors often said, if there were a woman candidate for president who you knew somehow would actually stand against abortion, you would vote for because actually preventing the killing of those babies is more important than sexual order in that decision.
0: Or maybe you want to argue argue it's not, but let's at least make some space for it being a complex issue and not yeah. just a given like you would never vote for her. So, I'm not telling you what to think about Harry Potter one way or another. You have to make your own decision about that. You can hear us debate all this in the Bookening podcast over the space of two or three episodes and come to conclusions if you want a more in-depth discussion. But I think you have to think about all three things. Natural order, moral order, and moral grammar or how it makes you feel.
3: Yeah, and you need to be aware of developing strange principles that justify what you like and not what you hate or not what you're inclined to not like in the process, which is another thing that we that people really want to do instead of engaging the actual principles at play.
0: If, if you're going to give Harry Potter a spanking for making you like witches, you could at least give Tolkien a slap on the wrist for making you like wizards. And then you could say... <laughs> It's more complicated than that. Sure. But let's not try and pretend like the, the thing that we like is the best and most morally great thing ever. And the thing that we don't like must yeah. be intrinsically evil. Oh, and yeah. but then pretend
3: like we've actually done the work of thinking about it in a more complex way because we've developed a principle that allows us to justify the one and not the other. Right. Okay. L- let's let the principles be honest principles that have integrity across our applications of them, mm-hmm. whether that's to Lord of the Rings or to Harry Potter or to Narnia or to Star Wars or to Marvel or to whatever else fits in your conglomeration of Disney movies, mm-hmm. you know, where we're conjuring up a gin or where yeah, mm-hmm. where we're casting a spell to bring our dad back from the dead or we're having a whole celebration of the Day of the Dead you know, have the Greek gods in Homer or mm. in that Disney classic Hercules mm-hmm. or anything in between. <laughs> More like
0: hunkyles
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, and you also, uh, this is a point I brought up in conversation at one time with Jake and Nathan, but if you were a missionary in Africa and you were dealing with actual witch doctors, chances are good, I think, that you wouldn't read Harry Potter to your kids <laughs> or let them read it because things, the moral grammar would be so confused then because you have actual witch doctors casting
0: actual spells, interacting with actual demons.
1: You know, you have to consider
0: where you are. Context is important, actually. Yeah. I, yeah, I was just about to say that. this It is subjective in this sense. There are some people that definitely shouldn't read Harry Potter. If you're the kind of person who's going to be corrupted by that subversion of the moral grammar, if you're the kind of person that really wants to believe that actual witch witchcraft is cool, if you're tempted by the occult and then you read a book that's at all confusing about it, that's gonna do more damage to you than, I don't know, even to some blasé materialists who just don't care one way or another about those things. So I think- But
3: then let's also recognize that there is a world of books and movies out there that are made by blasé materialists mm -hmm. that are pressing that order on your life. Yep and every other heresy known to man. The nihilism, the evolutionary garbage, the rationalism. At a certain point, you're stuck with history or historical fiction by Christians who are perfectly orthodox, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) <laughs> or maybe some speculative fiction by perfectly orthodox Christians.
0: Good luck finding that. I'll oh, tell you who wasn't grief. perfectly orthodox was, yes, Lewis,
1: <laughs> and even Tolkien. Not I mean, even Tolkien. You, yeah. I think the more that
0: you actually, <laughs> the more that you actually look into the,
1: the order, the natural order of Tolkien's Middle yeah. Earth, the, the more text. bothered, yeah. the more bothered you're going to be, mm-hmm. if you're honest. So, good luck. Yeah, but that's
0: why you have to hold these things lightly, too. Oh well,
3: yeah. Well... If you're if you're okay with the force if it is a function of mediocrance but not okay with the force if it's a function of some kind of cosmic buddhism mhm then okay cosmic buddhism is bad but materialism is good yeah cosmic like, atheism <laughs> <laughs> like come on guys like just be honest with yourself about what you're doing and make your decisions in good faith
0: yeah i mean obviously we believe that a moral Christian man can make decisions to enjoy some of this stuff. I mean, we've done a lot of podcasts about Harry Potter and Star Wars. We like that stuff, but you gotta be careful about it. You gotta actually think about it. You gotta be willing to say no to some stuff. I mean, it's such a dumb low bar thing, my my, my test, but my test with, with young men especially is just-
3: I wanna keep coming back at this. What's more dangerous to your kids? Cosmic Buddhism or crass materialism? Okay. <laughs> Just saying. All right, please proceed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because context matters.
0: Yeah. In the context that if you're in the West, you know, like in America, your kids are probably going to be more tempted by cosmic atheism than they are by cosmic Buddhism. Oh, I
1: I think, honestly, they're practically the same thing in America because you can have both. Mm -hmm. You do have, in in practice, in my experience, you have a soft Buddhism and a hard materialism, and they're perfectly compatible. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs)
3: okay fine fair point
0: (laughs) anyway here's here's my test can you just tell me one thing that you've said no to please i know that that's such a lame borderline immoral low bar but man especially when i talk to young people it's like can you just prove to me please you're willing to draw some line you'll draw some line and, and if it's no Harry Potter, yes, Lord of the Rings, fine. I don't really care. No Marvel, yes, Harry Potter? Yeah. If it's completely okay. arbitrary and you're just being an idiot because you, you actually don't like the one and you do like the other. Then we
3: <laughs> still need to talk.
0: But, sure. if, but if you can tell me, like, man, I think Game of Thrones would be cool, but, man, it is just nihilistic and I don't need to see all that sex. And so I'm not going to do it. That goes a long way towards earning my trust because you've proved that you can have a little self-discipline and a little thoughtfulness, and you'll say no to yourself. So say no to something, please. For goodness <laughs> sake. <laughs> Is there anything else that needs to be said, guys? I don't think so. Not now, anyway. Yeah, we'll be we have more, more of a chance to talk about this in our sci-fi series coming up in a few months. Great. And Dune will be a very interesting thing to tackle, given all of this, like... Mm-hmm. what is dude trying to say exactly that's an interesting question but we'll get there all right what's this ben's hopping on his unicorn <laughs> that's right jake's pulling out his golden it's, sword it's just a horse oh it's just a horse <laughs> <laughs> modified and jake is that oh that's that's like what is that tinfoil what is that sword
3: it's gold it's gold
0: yeah i think it might be paper shape, ben Oh man. And gold spray paint.
1: Well you know, it's just make believe, Nathan. It's all right. Yeah,
0: that's true. Alright. I'm gonna float away from my microphone now. Wow. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I laugh like that all the time. I mean, I know you're evil and whatever, but I agree, Bleep Bloop. There is a thousand percent too much evil laughter. It's what I do. <laughs> well, see, Radiohead, this is just the kind of thing I don't like in most fantasy books. Same old evil villain. I guess this is life imitating art, huh? You said it, Ollie, Bleep Bloop. What? That is
4: entirely unfair. How many space villains do you know that read? Marcel Proust.
2: Uh, zero?
4: Wrong.
2: One. Because you know me. But Zalaxor, the evil, I am confused. Are you saying you are really a fan of Proust? There's a saturation
4: in his imagery that is almost...
2: symphonic. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. Bleep bloop. This is what I was saying earlier?
4: I find realism is the key ingredient to good art. And Proust is the greatest writer of realism. Other than Proust, I enjoy any novel about a professor having an affair. But that's like every novel these days. Every novel that's not science fiction or fantasy?
2: (laughs) Ollie, Bleep, Bloop. I am beginning to rethink my snobbery towards speculative fiction. Yeah, me too, Radiohead.
4: You won't have much time to rethink your snobbery
2: before you die a horrible death in the snafus of Dreb. <laughs> Not the snafus of drab. Not the snafus of drab. Uh, what, what
4: is the snafus of Dreb? Before I throw you into the snafus... Of Dreb. ...the very same, how about I read you a story by Annie Prue, author of Back
2: Mountain... No! A fate worse than disintegration? (laughs) I guess this proves that science fiction and fantasy are legitimate genres, Radiohead. Yes, Ollie. Also, that so called literary novels are generally terrible. I don't see how you've proved that at all. Good thing we don't have to make an actual argument, Zalaxor. Not with a crystal azorpedor in our possession. What? That's impossible! Uh. It is possible when you use time traveling technology in a really cool way. Sleep loop. Fool short Now you're toast. No! Yeah.
3: Sound of Sanity was uh produced by Nathan, associate produced by Ben, and executive produced by me and Nathan. For more great content or for special bonus content. Support us today at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. And until next time, stay fantastic.